Hello, everyone. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast was recorded and is made available to you by Whitley Penn LLP and WP Wealth LLP solely for informational purposes. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are general in nature and are not intended to be construed as the provision of financial or investment advice by Whitley Penn or WP Wealth. The information discussed in this podcast is accurate as of the day it was recorded, but may then become outdated over time. Please feel free to contact us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns in regard to the content presented. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our next edition of Whitley Penn Talks. Uh, I'm Tom Ryan, and uh, Director of Wealth Management at Whitley Penn, and I'm joined with one of my associates, Matt McGee. I uh, hope that you have uh, taken an opportunity to listen to some of the previous podcasts that, that we've done uh, at WP Talks through, uh, through our financial uh, planning group. Um, so we've got an interesting topic today. I think it's interesting. And uh, so welcome, Matt. Let's, uh, let's kind of get into this. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, let's get started with it. Uh, we've talked a lot about the market in the past couple episodes. I wanted to start today's conversation off more about client and investor expectations for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, it's, that's a, it's a great question. You know, when we visit with... Um, prospective clients and and it's interesting because they a a prospective client can come from a lot of different backgrounds it it may be the first time that somebody has reached out for professional advice as it relates to their wealth or investments or maybe a situation where somebody has had prior experiences uh, either good or bad typically they they're probably not satisfied because they're willing uh, to have a conversation with somebody else. But I will tell you, generally, um, most folks would would come to uh, that relationship with an expectation about uh, some assumed level of returns that they should expect in the market. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, we're inundated daily with information uh, from financial media, both uh, in you know television and print and podcast about the market and you know a lot of investment focused groups really all they have to sell is the investment so you know their theme is going to be how we maximize the rate of return for a portfolio at any any given point in time and so a lot of individuals have that kind of stuck in their mind that you know whatever the Dow is is yielding this year or the NASDAQ or the S&P or whatever the perceived historical rate of return, that's kind of their benchmark for evaluating uh, whether they've had a successful investment um, uh, journey, if you will. And I would tell you, if, if you asked most people, you know, what should you expect to receive for your equity part of your portfolio? And I think generally they would say, oh, you know, about 10%. Which you know the S and P that's a little high. I think the S and P is somewhere maybe eight and a half to nine and a half percent historical. But there was a time when when probably the S and P yielded about ten percent. And then from bonds, 
they would say long term, probably about four and a half to five percent. And 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 would think of bonds as an asset class that would generate some stream of income um, in a re- in, in retirement. You know, in a time when they're looking to supplement Social Security or maybe some other sources of of inflow to to manage their cash flow needs for lifestyle. So I think at thirty thousand feet, most investors. Not all um, those that have have experience or or a little more knowledgeable would would understand that to be different. But most investors, I think, that's probably um, a realistic um, assumption that that that's what they would expect to receive. Absolutely. Uh, to take a step back uh, of why investors want that sort of return from equities, uh, can you talk a little bit about real versus nominal returns, the effect of inflation, and why it's important to have that equity exposure? Yeah. So, um, you know, inflation is is a huge component of, of the financial plan. The, I'll, I'll add one more caveat to to the prior conversation, and that would be if an investor, you know, th- there's a mentality out there that if the market's going to give you X, mm-hmm. then, you know, with just a little bit of effort, uh, you should be able to exclude those bad companies in, in a broad index called the S&P and generate an effective rate of return that's superior than the index. So anything below that is somehow failure or poor job. The reality is is that most investors over their investment um, uh, career underperform the benchmarks because they're always changing, you know, chasing trends, selling at the wrong time, buying at the wrong, wrong time, generating a bunch of fees and expenses. So the reality is their experience is, is sub uh, index or, or broad market rate of return, but yet they would define that as a unsuccessful investment experience but in reality that's the experience that they generate to to your to your second question you know it's really important uh to uh, to generate a, a rate of return in your portfolio that's significant enough that outpaces inflation in other words it keeps the purchasing power of your of your money consistent through through whatever time frame and that typically is retirement so that you know, you're not um, underperforming inflation and eating into principal prematurely, which creates the snowballing effect of distributions out of your accumulated assets. And then it's then you're just running against the clock. You know, am, am, am I going to outlive my balance or is uh, or am I going to or is my balance going to be adequate enough at my mortality so that I'm able to live the lifestyle I need through my entire uh, retirement years. And we know that inflation uh, over time changes. It's been pretty consistently low uh, for the last, you know, many years. Um, certainly since the, the financial crisis in 08, 09, we've had this kind of subpar inflation where the, the Federal Reserve um, has been trying with, with lots of different policy tools to get inflation up to their target of 2%. But even in low inflation, um, the, the purchasing power of dollars have changed materially you know, in the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things you hit on when you answered the first part of that question was overactivity. That's definitely something I've seen a lot of uh, in my couple months here. And 
<clears throat> is that activity from a lack of a financial plan? Like, what would you attribute that to? Um, in, in the recent, you know, historically, uh, I would say generally, we saw it back in 08, 09, we saw it back in the tech bubble in, in 2000. Um, people have um, uh, their, their attitudes towards risk. Uh, they, they, while thing, while times are good and the economy and the market are healthy, they, they, they believe that they have a tolerance to risk that when we get into an extreme environment, they realize it was misappropriate. Mm -hmm. And so they get caught up in a situation where, you know, and markets get chaotic at times. Um, and they mis misjudge their willingness and ability to, to stay in their seat, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, and they react to the environment instead of recognizing that sometimes there is uh, dislocation uh, in, in capital markets that create extreme in, uh, environments, and they're usually temporarily, temporary, uh, but yet they're not willing to wait it out to recognize um, fair price establishment back uh, with with um, normal trading activity. So th there's that, and I think you know if you 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 kind of look at and, and read a lot of the articles out there right now about during the COVID crisis and shelter in place and the fact that there's no sports or sports betting. That there is a part of the population that have turned to the stock market. Um, as a form of entertainment or gambling. Uh, we see that in, if you look at some of the major custodial firms, Schwab and TD Ameritrade and Fidelity and some of the other discount brokerage firms, although every custodian is a discount broker today, mm -hmm. a number of retail accounts that have been established um, over the, the COVID time period is significantly higher than normal trends. Uh, which which kind of gives a little bit of validity that there's some new players in the market who are there primarily to uh, create transactions in the trade almost as a, a, a fill-in for the void they're experiencing in other, uh, other areas of their life at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that from you hit on risk assessment, personalities kind of balancing those two. I mean, in this low interest rate environment that we've been in for the past decade plus, it looks like we're going to be in it for the foreseeable future. Should investors look at take a strong look at their bond allocation, given that they're not going to get very strong returns from those. What do you think about that in a typical 60-40 and kind of balancing that risk with uh, the need for returns? Yeah. So, you know, the, the fundamental basic uh, basis of an asset allocation is to, is to accomplish some stated uh, rate of return that meets your uh, your particular uh, return needs in, in a real return sense. So in other words, after inflation and, and then secondarily and, and, and probably every bit as important is with the understanding of what level of risk or volatility comes with that. So traditionally, and I know there's a lot of debate out there right now, um, whether asset classes are acting um, like they have historically. And what I mean by that is, 
uh, non-correlation of certain asset classes. So when, when you talk about uh, correlation or non-correlation, what you're talking about is the movement of one asset class in relations to another given a current environment. A non-correlated asset class would be one that if, let's say, stocks were going higher, uh, and money was flowing there, it maybe was coming from somewhere else. So another asset class was actually going lower at that time. And that's a non-correlated. What we've seen in, in, in the last many years is that assets seem to all be moving in the same direction. Um, Pre-COVID, pre the economic shutdown and the effect to valuation of assets at that time, you know, you were hard pressed to, to look at an asset class that wasn't at or near all-time highs. And that would be true for stocks and it would be true for bonds. Um, it was probably true for uh, real estate. Um, maybe commodities were an exception to that, but there maybe there's different reasons for that. So, you know, the, the, you're scratching your head today about as you build a diversified allocation that is, is designed to accomplish some stated real rate of return and some characteristic of risk management, you know, bonds typically is a big part of that 60-40 equation, you know, it represents 40% of the asset allocation, which is generally appropriate for those emerging into retirement and maybe even in retirement given the size of their portfolio. Um, and I, I, I don't think that a zero or, or low interest rates change that, but I think our expectations of what the bonds will do for you probably has changed. I think bonds are still going to be deemed or the marketplace still deems them as a safe, safer asset, less volatile asset than, than equities in a bad environment, but yet I don't think one could expect any type of meaningful return uh, from those bonds. So should you avoid bonds and exclude them from the from your portfolio? Well, in doing that, you've probably increased the expected rate of return, but you've also increased the level of volatility significantly. And again, that may be a situation that an individual investor can't live with and would give them significant heartburn if we got back into a, uh, a volatile environment and uh, would not like the results of that. So, you know, I think bonds still play a, a role. You want to be really thoughtful about mm -hmm. the type of bonds you own, the duration, the quality but they're primarily in a portfolio now for volatility management, not necessarily for enhancement to return. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you definitely alluded to the importance of a financial plan and expected rates of return are a part of that financial plan and accomplishing those goals. Um, for an investor that might be listening, what are some other things that they should definitely be taking into consideration? You know, I think today with so much of the uncertainty, uh, I think, you know, from a comprehensive global kind of wealth management standpoint, you want to be really thoughtful about um, their liquidity. You know, we typically you get into real uh, difficult times when there's uh, constriction of liquidity. We saw that in March when, when the debt markets froze up and people do extreme things. You know, individually, you could, you could protect yourself more than the marketplace in general by adding a little more liquidity than you typically would. Uh, if you've got upcoming uh, expenses in, on, in the horizon that are pretty predictable, you want to make sure that you've set um, funds aside in a, in a, in a no or low risk uh, environment to handle those so that you don't get stuck 
um, in an environment where you have to sell assets at an inopportune time and suffer real significant valuation declines. I think also just recognizing your level of debt that you hold, your, your, your free available cash flow on a monthly basis, how much of your inflow is committed to fixed obligations, mm -hmm. and you want to reduce that percentage as much as you can to create more flexibility and freedom. And again, just making sure that your time frame uh, for your accumulation of assets, the risk that you're willing to apply to those assets are consistent. And if they are, if you've done those things personally, then it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel um, uh, apprehensive or anxiety if we get into another extreme environment, but you give you maybe a little more confidence to not have to react in it, which I think ultimately will help prevent making a permanent mistake. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Uh, I mean, everything you just hit on there is really around optimizing for quality of life and their financial situation and not just a rate of return. Uh, when do you really see like newer investors kind of, when does all of that click for them? Is it after a volatile time like we saw in March or is it just hearing the story and seeing the plan over years? Like when do they finally stop asking so much about, I guess, returns and more uh, goal oriented? Yeah, and I think everybody's different, certainly to have had life experiences and made mistakes and, and see um, as time goes by, things become much clearer uh, helps. I mean, if, if you're if you're an intelligent and you know, certain level of, of um, financial smarts, you learn from lessons, you don't continue to make the same mistakes. But I think also working with um, an independent, you know, fiduciary that is really uh, plan focused and really goal focused and does a good job of explaining what this process is all about, how, you know, we will suffer periods of uh, volatility, some more extreme than others, but that capital markets, you know, go higher over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and as long as you're willing to sit in your seat and maybe even be more aggressive during the environments when there's um, more volatility, then you actually enhance your rate of return. So, you know, being, being, being bold when others are fearful and, and being more cautious when others are overly bold, I think is, you know, will, will serve investors well. But I think everybody learns it at a different pace, but typically – you know, experiences certainly help reinforce the ultimately, um, you know, the, 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 the true understanding of long-term wealth management. I like it. Uh, all right, let's wrap up with a couple easy questions. I was curious if you couldn't invest in equities today, where would you be putting your resources? You know, in the short term, I think it's clear that equities are the place to be. And I, I say that just there, there's so much energy and, and money flows in equities coupled with the, the fact that uh, treasury uh, has committed and, you know, talking about another round of stimulus. Uh, the fed has given, uh, you know, the, their verbal assurance that they're going to be in the game. You know, it, it's hard to ignore all that liquidity making its way into a zero rate, uh, environment and naturally flowing to risk assets, which typically are equity. So uh, certainly in the short term, barring some information that we don't know today, that's materially different. You know, I think equities continue to ride higher, at least in the short term. 
beyond that, I'd be hard pressed to make long-term commitments either in certain types of real estate or more speculative bets. I think buying bonds or adding materially to bonds is problematic uh, given the, the interest rate environment, the unknown uh, status of, of, of the economic growth coming out of uh, the COVID shutdown. Uh, but I think the things that you could do that are, would be impactful is, is really understand your liquidity needs. And if you're shy on some of your liquid safe dollars, maybe re- restoring that or, or putting some additional um, safe safety aside, certainly looking at paying down debt and trying to create more flexibility on your uh, demands on your monthly cash flow, I think are really um, uh, valuable um, uh, investments or uses uses of assets today. I think investing in yourself. I think the world is going to look different um, as we come out of this. You know, we're, we've learned a lot um, about how business is conducted, and I would continue to invest in yourself to put yourself in a position to be successful uh, in whatever your career path might be into the future, whether it changes materially because of COVID or whether mm-hmm. it enhances. But I think I think those are good investments that you could make. I'd be cautious about making illiquid uh, longer term investments, given the, the amount of unknown and uncertainty. Uh, if you, if you put money into something that is illiquid or hard to get out and the rules change or the facts differ, uh, you may be disappointed uh, in the outcome on that. So stay pretty liquid capital markets and equities are certainly going to be liquid and probably are going to continue to move higher, but also just, it, making decisions that put you in a better position and more protection, I think, are the, the things that I would recommend at this point. Yeah, that, solid answer. Uh, all right, so we're roughly four months into COVID. I mean, what have you been re- watching this, reading or watching this summer? Yeah, uh, not my typical stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of my uh, my Netflix and other programs were delayed production so mm-hmm. you know some of my favorites uh, were are, are not on there we've power watched them already unfortunately and, you know the reality is there's been so much information uh, out there from a from uh, from an industry perspective on what we do and ha- what we talk to our clients about every day been doing a lot of, of reading of uh, of information about fed policy tax policy obviously the so, so much has changed in tax law uh, the Treasury. Obviously, we're right in the middle of a political cycle. There's social unrest. So really, really real-time headline, uh, what's going on in the world information is there's so much of it right now. It's been kind of all-consuming. And so that's largely what I've been listening to and reading and look forward to getting to a point where things are a little calmer and maybe we uh, can get back to, you know, some of the old routines that kind of filled our non- technical side of our brains and uh, our non-business uh, uh, sides and more, more uh, personal and pleasure. But unfortunately, that's, that's been largely what I've been looking at and listening to over the last several months. Yeah, we, I've definitely blown through all of my shows. We went back and started watching Lost for the first time. I had no <laughs> idea that there's like 25 episodes in the first season. So uh, we're good for at least a month or two. 
There you um, go. <laughs> all right. I will take the last question. So where can people find us? They can find us at WPWealth.com. We now have a podcast page at WPWealth, uh, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you typically listen to your podcast. And I appreciate you listening. Thanks. Thanks.